Hello viewers slash listeners, you're listening to Haunted Picture Palace. I am Amelia. I'm sat here with Ben. Hello. I introduce myself first because uh, this is our show and we can do what we want. That's <laughs> true, yes. Welcome back to the Haunted Picture Palace. It's been some time. Hello. But we are still here, a little older, a little sexier. I haven't aged, I am a vampire, but you do you. Yes. <laughs> hmm. Trigger warning, right at the beginning, content warning for sure, trigger warning potentially. It's a lot of blood, a lot of death, there is a baby lot of death, blood. child death, mother death, animal death, spoiler death. <laughs> All kinds of death. So many deaths. Yes, and a fair amount of blood. It's not... <sighs> Don't do that noise, you're doing that noise from that man. No, I'm not. We no. let that go at Christmas. <laughs> Why we haven't done another one since? Yeah, I just couldn't stop every time I got before the <laughs> microphone. I just started hoarding. Oh, um, it makes me feel so sick. Continue. It's yes, there, it's it sounds odd to say there's a lot, a lot of blood, but it's not gory. But I wonder if maybe it is, and I've just I'm just desensitized. Yeah, I've ruined it. you. Right. Yeah. Okay. So all studded cast, <laughs> star-studded cast. We will do a big cheer when we meet the babies throughout the film but do you want to crack on yes we should say we're this interview with the vampire today just in case anybody didn't read the title of the episode mm-hmm. yeah yeah that was all <laughs> yes let's crack on <laughs> So we've got a screenplay by Anne Rice, which is interesting. So sadly, Anne Rice left us recently. She did indeed. She not didn't leave us in an emotional context. She died. And here we have essentially her legacy. I feel like this is a big one for me, certainly in my youth. Turns out in my young youth, because apparently even someone that was in it was not allowed to watch it because they were deemed too young and it was too frightening. And they were older than I was the first time I watched it. Um, so what happened there? The video shop, Blockbusters is what happened there. And me looking like a 42-year-old mother of two at 11. Blockbusters rented this to you when you were 11? Blockbusters sold this to me when I was 11. Wow. Mm. It's, an eight, it's an 18 for strong bloody violence and horror. I wore glasses. Glasses right, are yeah, so glasses. deceptive. <laughs> I was quite tall for my age as well. And I had made a lot of eye contact. What, what age would you recommend it for? 15 and in oh no that's the wrong podcast 15 and in a period of sexual exploration with your best friend but right. that's not quite where i was going i mean we can keep that that's fine but it really is in that in that bracket of we've been we've managed to sneak this one and it's a bit sexy and there's there's bubs and like oh yes there is a bit of bit of bub a bit of bub Yes, I was uh, surprised there wasn't a 15, but as I said, perhaps I'm just desensitised. You really because are, because there's the... some very graphic, nasty bites and animalistic things in it that... Yeah, no, that's fair enough. There's a lot of blood. Yeah. There's a yeah. lot of blood. People get cut in half. Uh, people get funny about like stuff to do with children. Yeah, but people get cut in half. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not gremlins level gore of like... No, I you suppose, know, it's yes. it's. it's yeah. A sword goes through a person and the top of them falls off. I think that's right, that's yeah. very eighty. Yeah, <laughs> a bunch of people go on fire. <laughs> at one point for a, yes, yeah, for quite a long time for and long scream time. throughout. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, yeah. Yeah, good point well made. Yes. So we open up with choral music and a sexy young Christian Slater, everybody. Meant to be River Phoenix initially, which is interesting. Yeah. I think you said it's an entirely superfluous character in the yeah. in the plot. I think it's just to give us it is a very literary framing device that the, the yes. film's called Interview with a Vampire and that is what well, that's what we get. It's an interview with a vampire. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's a strange thing to comment on, but I feel like if we've learnt nothing else from previous vampire seasons here or from a lifetime in my case of watching <laughs> vampire films, correct me if I'm wrong in saying that Christian Slater has a Renfield hairline. Yeah, I, I can see yeah. that. Yeah, and he gets more be- bedraggled as the interview goes on because he's smoked more and he's getting excited and he's sweaty and he's not quite believing what he's seeing. But it's more yeah. Renfield than than Keanu Reeves as John, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Let's, <laughs> let's be honest. It's it's much more in the camp of I'm going to be one of you. Can I have a bit? Thanks. Yeah, it's and it's. It's it's hard for me to imagine River Phoenix in that role. I think he would have played it completely differently, like on every single level. I also ha- think they would have given it a bigger part because he was more expensive mm-hmm. and a, a more noir to it. Because sure. in the very beginning, it has the potential to be noir, and baby Brad Pitt, way is playing it very <laughs> noir. Yes, but. Christian Slater's is just like it's the nineties, <laughs> you know. And I have a waistcoat. I don't know. He's, <laughs> he's... You're like a real vampire. Oh my god! Yeah. This is so exciting. I can't wait to tell my 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 girl about you. I... Do you know actually the the cast? It's interesting casting. It should have been a young and beautiful. F- yeah, and he is young and beautiful. But it should have been a young and beautiful reporter in the same way that. Brad Pitt's character was a down and out beautiful young creature. Sure. Yeah, well, I mean, River Phoenix was no That's slouch what I'm in saying. the department. Yeah, but then maybe because they got Christian Slater, they dressed him like <laughs> sort of a mix between you and McGregor in Moulin Rouge and um, the one that runs the Daily Planet in Super- Adventures of Superman. <laughs> and it, <laughs> what happened? Yeah. He's sort of, yeah, he's like if. What's the what was the what was the manager called? It's a very specific set of references. The editor, you know, know what where I'm talking I do, about. Yeah, I can't. I can and Jimmy, him, but I can't it's remember. mixed between Jimmy, Jimmy the photographer, and the actual editor of the magazine, the newspaper, the Daily Planet. Anyway, yeah. um, Brad Pitt tries to speak with those teeth in. Get used to that. <laughs> they are big. Baby Brad is here. I had no idea how baby he was when I was young because I was so young watching it. Yes, too young. <laughs> Yeah, but also I knew who Brad Pitt was, you know, like yeah, yeah, it is in the in the collective consciousness, and I still didn't think. I was just thought, he's old. No, well, it's a good, ca- <laughs> it's a very good cast for when are we? Nineteen ninety four, ninety five. It's a good ninety five cast. But if you saw a film coming out now and you're like, oh, it's, who's who's in it? And you said, oh, uh, Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise are the yeah. leads, and uh, Antonio Banderas is there, and. Mm. Um, Kirsten Dunst, and you go like, oh, that's a good... And Tandy Newton. Tandy Newton, thank you. You go, that's a good, that's a good cast. And you know, Christian Slater, who is Christian still... Christian Slater, you know, you would wonder, perhaps wonder where the young people were, but still, this is, what, 30-something years ago? Oh, that they, was where you were going with that. 28 years ago, but whereas if this was coming out, if, if a film, not this, but if a film came out with this cast today, yeah. you'd go, that's a good cast. <laughs> well, you go, which director can possibly afford that? Yes. 
there can only be two and one of them's definitely in trouble for something you know that's that's a lot yeah. of money yeah. to get every but then they weren't expensive in those days not everybody there was expensive no. however it's a deeply expensive production it's very plush the soundtrack is expensive everything's quite dear yes yeah even it had, a, in... it had a decent budget um exactly 50 million or so i think i looked it up which is a, a lot of money but mm. not like not as much as you think it might be. <laughs> <laughs> I've also put um, still a better skin tone than Twilight. Um, there's a lot of now. There's a lot of love on this podcast for Robert Pattinson. Would you agree? I would agree. I love him. I love him on a deep psychological level. He's intrinsically flawed and wonderful, and a Taurus. So you know it's good. A fine, fine actor. Perhaps not. Perhaps he didn't do his best work in his... Perhaps his best roles are not... What, Cedric? Perhaps his... <laughs> perhaps his most famous roles don't show off his ability quite to the full extent of it. Yeah. I yeah, I mean, he nearly got sacked. He so nearly got sacked from Twilight for playing it too measurable. Is that true? Do we know if that's true, though? That because was in he, the interview I watched the other day. I know, <laughs> I know, but it was truly, it was. It felt true. Yeah, it was where... I could certainly believe it was where true. Where his manager came up to him, and was the manager whose sofa he was living on at the time, <laughs> came up to him in the middle of filming that terrible scene in the first one. I know we covered it on here, of them all trying not to eat Bella at dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and came up in the lunch break and was like, whatever you're doing, do the opposite. Or they're going to fire you. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like that's that's almost certainly true. He was laughing too much for it to be false. Did you have something to say there? No, I just wondered why you were talking about Robert Pattinson. Because it's still a better skin tone skin than Twilight. Right, yes. But also yeah. that you can see a lot of where Robert Pattinson was going with the kind of mopey, Lestat-esque... Yeah, absolutely. I feel like this know, has been very influential on Yeah, vampires. lots of vampires. Lots of vampires. And I mean, the Queen of the Damned is the sequel, and if I have my horrible way, we will definitely cover that oh, at some yeah, point. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm up for that. Mainly because I love the soundtrack. It massively shaped my teenage years. It really did. Why are you laughing at <laughs> oh, me? No, it's down like with a, the sickness. No, not at all. Well, I mean, partly. But also, Guess it's up. like the, Come on, the good thing the about the <laughs> film... <laughs> Like, what, what do you like about Queen of the Damned? It's the soundtrack CD, <laughs> you know, but there's also 90 minutes of like moving pictures. But uh, we'll get to that. Oh, but it funny. is interesting with the the title of this mm. on the screen, and I know we've been talking for a little while. But the title of this on the screen is <laughs> "Interview with the Vampire" yes. on the Vampire Chronicles. Yes, which does suggest that they were shooting for something of a series that didn't come off. Oh, really? Reason. That's interesting. I, mean, I say that. I really I, thought that was book related. Wow, well, maybe. And it was chronicling the vampires, if of yeah. the books. No, it just it just feels like mm. a it feels like the title a of a series exactly. Yeah, a saga but, between night and day. But I might be wrong. Yes. Seventeen ninety one. Everybody. Uh huh. Um, yeah. I really love that score. That do 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 do. It's very. It's designed for it. It's beautiful. Gorgeous color scheme. Everybody poses like an 1800s painting, and that's nice. Mm. Yes, it's directed by Neil Jordan. Neil Jordan? Neil Jordan. Neil Jordan. And I think he does very well. I think we should should note this up now. Um, I also understand he did a little bit of rewrite work on the script, uncredited. Yeah. Uh, I don't know much of his other work. The Crying Game is his uh, most famous thing. Mm. But one thing I did find out about it when I was looking into him for this 
is that he's a mate of John Borman, who and he, it's the first film he worked on in any capacity was Excalibur. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, nice! Uh, Jordan and um, and it's odd because I thought, well, he's an Irish film director, and so is John Borman, and apparently they're the only ones, and they knew each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then that's I mean, only the other day I was doing that uh, Leith Witchcraft Market at Christmas. Mm-hmm. Shameless plug, and the two traders we put next to each other were both from Ireland, and they both knew each other's villages. <laughs> yeah, they were course. from like three villages away, and we're in Edinburgh, so yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, obsessed over the skin again, saying skin's way too good for this time of year, and also time of year, t- skin's <laughs> way too good for this period in time. But hey, he's meant to be a beautiful beast. To the whore at my side, to the pimp that followed, is a really good album name. That is good. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> the sort of setup here of a young man craving death mm. feels very like 1890s, but does it does work? Yeah. For this, you know, I think it, it's a... it's America trying to do old again, where they're like, <laughs> pick a date. What's a real old date? And they pick that, and they're like, yeah, that one. That's when all the real mysticism was happening. And you're like, cool. Yeah. You know, yeah, like yeah, you do was, you. Yeah, seventeen ninety was so old. Like nothing, surely nothing survives from then. Like no one would be able yeah. to check this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely crazy. Everybody in a powdered wig. Go. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just read my notes and then maybe we can go back over them. But hmm. in brackets, vampire strings, and then ah, the homoeroticism has already begun. And then in brackets, oh, they're in Mississippi, and then gay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll read you my note. Yeah. Quite homoerotic. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give you the choice I never had. I've pipped as a title potential. Yeah, I thought of that as well. Um, the shirts in this film are fully to <laughs> die for. I'm back, everyone, and it's costume time. The shirts are just incredible, and if you're anything like me and you spend an inordinate amount of time trying to find the perfect pirate shirt to go under a decent pair of dungarees or a high-waisted jean, you'll know that nobody really knows what those shirts are called. (laughs) Um, At the moment, the trend is to call them a balloon-sleeved poet shirt, but my God, are there so many variations on it. And if you put pirate shirt in before you all write in on your postcards, scanned, it comes up with costumes and things for some reason, the perfect shirts, but attached to baby grows. So it's they are hard to make. They're beautiful. They're hard to make. You'll find them on cosplayer sites for about 600 quid. And they're all incredibly beautifully pressed cotton. Um, Very fresh, very clean. A little bit too white for the period. But, I mean, they're meant to be... Lestat is meant to be a a, a rich... Yeah, absolutely. He's a... A spoiled prince. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, There's a reason it's my cat's name. You know, he's a a spoiled prince. He does uh, look like he wants a bit of um, Louis... Yeah. He looks like he could do with a bit. Oh, I see. I've put trailing dots before to die for, as if that was a pun. Overgrown <laughs> graveyard, but graves would have been new. Oh, yes. I didn't notice that, but that's a very good point. Mm, yes. I went to a graveyard recently in Bath, Bath, in this down south from here, and I was looking around it and going, oh, this is nice. It's very creepy. And then thinking, this looks a lot like it would have looked in the 90s. And, <laughs> you know, it just kind of struck me. Yeah, it just struck me that how you really look at it in films and actually how it's ri- when graveyards are written about in Victorian literature, how often it would be or how frequently it would be, sorry, that 
they were brand spanking new graves. Yes, especially in Victorian times because there was this big expansion of the cities yeah. with industrial revolution and stuff. And then, of course, you need to, somewhere to put these when they fall off their perch. Yeah. And so you you build these big things like the necropolis in Glasgow. Yeah. Uh, Imagine uh, that new. Yeah. But then people were still... What gets me is people were still writing about creepy stuff happening there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean... it. I feel like even a new graveyard is full of like dead bodies. It's not that. creepy though, is it? Do you associate a modern graveyard with like, ooh, spooky? This no, I... this memorial for <laughs> wounded soldiers is really freaking me out. No, no, I don't. But then the Victorians <laughs> had much more of a taste for high gothic than we do, so mm. there was a fair amount of sort of crenellated business and you know gargoyle looking stuff that was new, but was very much aping. Mm. An earlier time, you know the um, oh the Celtic revival stuff as well. That's yeah, a bit later. Yeah, but I mean the Houses of Parliament are a, a, an eighteen sixties building. Yeah, although, although designed to look like a sort of thirteenth century cathedral kind of thing. Christ, there was a period of time when that stuff was in. Mm. Oh, gothic, gothic, the Gothic revival. There we go. That was There's just I no. I just yeah, but I've read Gothic novels and Gothic stories. Where they brush a bunch of bracken off it. How old is that yeah. grave? <laughs> well, that's yes, what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, how how does that mean that we're doing the thing again, where we've previously dug up a bunch of people, <laughs> or dug their stones yeah. up and piled them up like they do now? Yeah, and then buried people in the holes. Certainly, in some cases, although not in where are we? Mississippi. Here? Mississippi, because <laughs> are you um, sure? <laughs> um, well, because America. <laughs> I know. Um, I mean, obviously there were people living there, but they didn't have um, graveyards. They weren't with so much into like that, no, yes. exactly. Yeah. Ben jumped. Lol. I've put. <laughs> lol. Lol. Well, I've written that vampire biting our interviewee made me jump. I said interview. It should be interviewer because yes, the vampire is the interviewee. And he didn't bite him. Well. He just sort of did sort the of fancy of, light trick. Yeah, went for him like, oh, I'm gonna. And like, Bloop. I can move really quickly. Yep. And I can, what's you know, the, you can turn on a light yeah, quicker than you know. Exactly. Give you that a choice the, I never had. That was, do you want the light on or off? <laughs> <laughs> that was the first draft of of the Edward speech in Twilight. Yeah. You know, I can turn lights on really. Do quick. you know what I am? <laughs> I'm more effective than a clapper. <laughs> Okay. Oh, yes. Embroidery on Lestat's waistcoat is absolutely unbelievable. In fact, embroidery on both. Everybody. No, Lestat's jacket is incredible, but Louis's waistcoat is incredible. Like, the details are wild. The embroidery is all hand done. You can see it. It's all very dreamlike, and it properly looks like 90s fan art of vampires as well, <laughs> you know? Not just... I don't know. It's got a nice bubble around it, but I think it might be... I'll put it this way, no one's really done it since. Yeah. It fits perfectly in this time period. Yeah, it's a very 90s thing in some ways. Yeah. But it's also, it's a 90s film of a 70s story. It was yeah. published in 1976. And I believe that she was, that she being Anne Rice, was looking to have it adapted theatrically. It was a fairly big success commercially at mm-hmm. the time, although some of the reviews were slightly uncomplimentary. But she got a big advance for it and it was it sold well and was popular so it was going to be adapted for the screen so yeah we have a a, a 90s vision a mm-hmm. 90s version of a 70s idea it's quite faithful to the book i know they change around a few things yeah but but 
certainly in terms of the plot i think it's it's very similar although there are a few things that they change which we can we can point up when we get to them yeah um, also Anne rice if that is your real name <laughs> thank you it is not her real name she was born i mean rice is because she married stan rice i love that Anne rice and stan rice it's really sad it sounds like cousins that married doesn't oh, it do you I like thought, it i thought it was sweet oh okay um and Rose was born Howard Allen Francis O'Brien, which isn't an unusual name, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> Is that my line? She was the, well. Wow, how weird! She was. <laughs> I've just noticed she's a Libra. That's all. I'm excited. She was named after her father, who was also called Howard. Mm-hmm. Um, Not Stan. No, she wasn't called Stan. She married Stan. Keep up. I know. And she changed it to Anne because when she started school, one of the nuns there asked her what her name was and she went with Anne because she thought it was pretty and her mother was there and didn't contradict her because she knew that Howard was a tough name for a girl to live with yeah and that she wasn't comfortable with it herself so this kind of bohemian mother had been like she shall be Howard and then not really thought it through how weird and unusual (laughs) also very telling that she went to Catholic school let's be honest yeah yeah (laughs) there's a lot of Catholic guilt Catholic repression and Catholic sort of sexuality in this film so I looked. Should we put it? Should we talk about it now? I looked into her career and faith. Okay. Um, yeah. Let's do an Anne Rice moment. So, as as you say, she went to Catholic school. She was raised quite strict Catholic mm. and, and left the church early in life. I think she was a teenager when she renounced Catholicism. And then over the year, in the years since, wrote some famous vampire <laughs> fiction. Yeah. As as we have been discussing, and some erotica as well, under a couple of pseudonyms. And then at some point in the nineties, I think she nearly died. She had a, oh, she had a, one of those near-death experiences. She was very ill. Yeah. And around about then, mm-hmm. sources are unclear as to whether these things are connected or not. But she found God again, and considered herself a Christian, although, and a Catholic, although still, to her credit, fond of gay rights, abortion, mm. things like this. And she wrote a couple of books, wrote a couple of novels about Jesus, as I understand, about the young Jesus, having looked into this. And but she didn't, she sort of very much didn't renounce her earlier work. She just said she wasn't really okay. interested in writing about vampires for a bit. Wrote some books about Jesus. And then over time, through the 90s, early 2000s, she drifted away from the church as an institution. She said a few things about... Oh. Christianity, she said, is a big fan of Christ, not really a fan of Christianity, and was describing herself as a secular humanist again by the end, although still one that That's had a relationship with Christ, and went back and wrote a couple more Vampire Chronicles later oh. on. Yeah. I quite like that as a path. It feels like a thoughtful path yeah. through life. You know, like you've you've considered your options and you've chosen things rather than just blindly following or or doing it for the fans. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, yeah, very cute. Yeah. Anyway, back to boys who. F- of course. Oh. I'll bleep you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good good title for the episode, isn't it? Lots of incredible clothes, swoon. Oh yes. You know, do 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 do. The the very famous. Romeo and Juliet adaptation that has a score 
that's also incredibly famous and it's from the 70s yes the zeffirelli one yes, yes well done yes that's what all the costumes it's, and it's set a, remind me yeah, of yeah it's a school classic isn't it it's one that is you it? we didn't in school a lot well, maybe you don't now because i'm as old as the hills yeah that's true but zeffirelli franco zeffirelli i think was the director Really, yes, dead right. Nineteen sixty-eight. That's the one. Romeo and right. Juliet. Really similar color scheme. Yeah. Um, the clothing and there's that particular scene where they're all kind of floral and clutching each other, and I think one of them's dying. And it's very much this scene in the graveyard. Even if I show Ben a picture, which is not good radio, we'll put it on the. Um, the okay, yes, right. The color scheme, the lighting, all of it's very dewy and glowy. And if you replace Juliet with a boy, it's what's happening. Um, but lovely. just a side note the living statue moment's very sweet so um, I always really liked it and it's why my mum recommended the film just putting oh, it out no. there it's why my mum recommended the film because the only bit she remembered from the entire film was that a statue came to life and thought I might like it <sighs> but I, I have some questions no, about... no questions no. <laughs> no that's really not the biggest issue there <laughs> Um, it's a nice thing I think it shows the a really nice version of that special something that people talk about when they become a vampire in these things Mm -hmm. you know like you have a special awareness you have spidey senses you have all your things that make you a bit of a mutant and one of the things that you can do is commune with stoneware sure yeah I've made made a little list of like vampire power vampire power watch I've called it nice and here we've got can fly yeah. Statues move but don't, and erotic clinches. Those yeah. Are the, those are the three from this. Other, yeah, I've got more to add to it as we go through. Sounds right. I also want to put in here two bits of trivia. Hmm. One bit I find so embarrassing for everybody involved, but it's also very telling. I don't know. There's something very um. Very unappealing to Nicole Kidman about it. But Tom Cruise. Yeah. Do you, would you like to guess what he studied for this part in order to get the body language and attacks how he wanted them to? Could you let me know? Attacks. Oh, like so the-, the way that he moves and the way that he pounces and the way that he does all these things. What do you think he studied to find out about that, to inform his choices? Well, he he gives off a very aristocratic mm. air. I'm just trying to think of like aristocratic killers. Right, but- you're so close. But I can't, you I, could I, say it's the king. A lion? It's lions. Oh. <laughs> he went he went borderline method <laughs> but with the king of the jungle. What a lame I man. I would not have guessed that. There's that. But there's also the makeup thing. So I keep talking about their skin. Mm-hmm. And when people are vampy in this, they have extra veins. And actually, once they have turned into vampire, they are... They don't do the full-on Buffy face, that noise. Yeah. But they're a bit extra veiny and they're a bit extra pale. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's well done, I think. 
all of the actors in the makeup chair that played vampires were hung upside down for half an hour <laughs> by the makeup team in order to allow all the blood to rush to their head to show them where their yeah, natural veins are <laughs> and paint them on. Here's what I don't understand about this fact. Yeah. Every day. Every day. You Just would take a photo. You would take a photo, wouldn't you? Yes. This is why Jeremy Irons didn't go for the part of... Um, who was he meant to be? I think he was meant to be Lestat. He didn't go for it because... Very different film again. Yeah. Um, he didn't. He would have played it so theatre gay, wouldn't he? Would have been amazing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he would have been the, full like, on. Scenes with him and um, Santiago it. together would have been just like two bits of ham uh, oh, rubbing, each, rubbing other. each other. I love it. <laughs> the um, but the reason he didn't do it is because he just he just took one look at how much makeup chair it would take and was like, I've literally just come out of a film where I nearly went mad with being in the makeup chair. I'm not doing that again. That's the only reason it wasn't him. Every day, though. What? Yeah, what? Surely, Every day. Surely you'd, you'd say like, you know, just take the take the Polaroids and put them on the put them by the mirror, and then tomorrow I come in. And maybe it's a terrible them. exaggeration of trivia, but yeah, or maybe like um, the they director, just loved it. He was did, into it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe it felt like it added something to their performance. So. Well, they're vampires. They're upside down a lot, right? Sure. <laughs> it's a bit like George Lucas telling Carrie Fisher that there's no bras in space. Yeah, but true. So a little run-through of vampire lore I've said here. Crucifixes, fine. Sunlight, bad. Mirrors? Coffins, necessary. Visible in mirrors. Visible in mirrors and coffins necessary. Fair enough. And finally, if Lestat comes from Paris, running water presumably fine. Yes, also, I will say it's not really pronounced coffins in this film, it's pronounced coffins. Oh. Because you're wearing very <laughs> you got, big teeth. You've got your teeth in, yeah, yes. sorry. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, we, didn't, we don't get to see all the bits where they go into like taverns and stuff and they're like, waitress, get me waitress. No, exactly. And the people are like, what, do they, what does he yeah, want? Yeah, witches, wow. Witch. That's unusual. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> There's a few deeply sensory memories, obviously, because probably scarred. But I also truly believe that this film contains a large part of my sexual awakening. I can understand so, that. Yeah, there's a lot of... Um, it's just kind of... Uh, I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to say that it's like a proper... What's the, What's the word for a poster child, but like... Something that just represents a whole unit. An epitome? No. It's a media form that's just like, it encapsulates the essence of an entire movement. Um, it's it's bisexual propaganda. That's what this film is. Right. <laughs> Truly. And it works. <laughs> and I'm happy with it. The sensory memory of lots of body parts, as I say. So the mouth and wrists of the woman that we're looking at mm -hmm. in this next scene. Um, baby Tandy Newton is such an incredible beauty. She's so striking, isn't she? Yes. Like, even she's just meant to be a slave girl on the plantation who's waiting in the house. Yeah. And so they would often like pick the... the pretty one. Yeah. yeah. But, yes. I mean, in terms of slavers, <laughs> slavers would often pick the pretty one to come and wait on the house. Mm -hmm. But she's really, I don't know, it really... Yeah, yeah, it's a small part. She gets very high billing for it. Yes. But but it is clear, 
I don't know. There's something. There's something of the star about her, isn't there? Do well, she's know? also already something by then. I suppose yes. Yeah, yeah. she's already something. Like she had a few big titles lurking and was definitely an up and comer. I was quite surprised her role was so small. Mm-hmm. But she does play it incredibly beautifully. She gets to recur a few times in the film until she doesn't. <laughs> yeah. There's a rat cocktail moment. So we have rat cocktails from <laughs> yeah. Tom Cruise. Mm. You can take the cocktail out of the man and all that. <laughs> yeah, um, he doesn't do any of the like shaking it, throwing it around business. But I feel like they missed a trick there. I also have strong Freddie Mercury vibes from him in this role. It might be the teeth. You know the flam like the yeah. flamboyance but confidence, extremely good at what he does, like kind of te- yes. teasing everybody. Yeah. I mean obviously this was not a thought in Tom Cruise's entire tiny brain, was it? <laughs> Let's be honest. He was busy thinking about blooming lions. Lions. Yeah, but well, whatever it is he's doing, I mean I'm impressed. It works, with it. yeah. Um, because I know him from things like Top Gun and Mission Impossible. And Really? Yeah, I know him from... Uh, legend. Action films. I suppose, yes. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. That doesn't come to he mind got to me. throw a ring in the water and make out with a fairy? Come on. <laughs> okay, yeah, he's got range. Fine. I mean, I'm admitting he's got range. I think he's very good here. It's weird <laughs> seeing him as a, a big blonde. Also, yeah, he's very short, but he doesn't appear short here. No, he feels very um, tall. They film him from beneath throughout. <laughs> Well done. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and Brad Pitt's considerably taller than him as well. Of course they, he is. they never look at it. It's no, very clever. No, exactly. And it's, it's it's a small thing, but it helps you forget that it's Tom Cruise. And I and I mean that as a compliment. <laughs> not because Tom Cruise isn't any good, but because Tom Cruise is very famous. And watching this sometimes when you see a very famous on the screen you're just like, Oh that's Oh, that's a good point. Does that make sense? Especially when they're yeah. one of those people who plays themselves sort of thing. And, and I yeah. feel like in a lot of in like Minority Report and that one where he's a samurai and you know a lot he's playing a lot of like tom cruise you know yeah and i am gonna say i don't think he has a lot of range and i don't think he's a good actor (laughs) on any level but in this film there's something about the way the director's got him and i will say oh vanilla sky as well was a very impressive performance everything else i can take or leave including um absolutely not top gun (laughs) you ever make me watch that again i'm coming for you that's a that's a threat on record. Don't edit it out. The people need to know. Incredible work on that jacket again. I think about this woman's poodle a lot as well. Oh yes. And her dandy fop. Her dandy <laughs> fop, by the way, still looks exactly the same now. I looked them up. Beautiful, isn't it? Just so beautiful <laughs> and so like I've never seen lips like that on a person. Just lovely. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, um, I think about her poodle. I think about her response. I think about how much she looks like a poodle. And she's got this wild hair and makeup that's like a weird how this how the production team have envisioned a sort of seventeenth century, eighteenth century aristocratic yes. French lady. Yes, it makes you think of have you seen the Draftsman's Contract, the no. Peter Greenaway film? The that's set in like Regency times, I think. Mm. And but all of the costumes and makeup are exaggerated just a little yeah. bit not so much that it's cartoony so they take like what it was really like and they just add just a little bit extra yeah on top of it and um yeah it's 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 movie style yeah but it's really opulent you know yes. and 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 it signifies the really work Lestat says something interesting because he says that the blood of the aristocracy is always tastiest and i've said why is that and then i've answered my own question 
20 minutes later going, oh, it's because it's Lestat and he's a snob. Of course, yeah. to him, the aristocracy tastes best because he's a prince. Well, I'm going to say, also, they've been feeding on the nicest stuff. Yeah. You know, if a cat eats a bird that's eaten a load of insects that have pesticides in it, the yeah. cat's going to be like, uh, yeah. Yeah, this is gross. Yeah. But you put a bit of port in it. Yeah. <laughs> Cats love port. Cats just love port. <laughs> what am I talking about? What am I talking about? Taking a do- Oh, yeah. Okay, got it. <laughs> so, during this scene, what we're supposed to be learning is that Lestat has a soul. We've heard that before, but not necessarily <laughs> in this order. So, we have little nods here and there to... Do, 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 Angel. Do, do. Angel. I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> it took me a long time to twig the timelines here. Yeah. That like Buffy the Vampire Slayer is after is way after this. Yeah. If you, if you consider that this is from the novel. Yeah. Well, I can do another kind of weird blow your mind timeline thing potentially. Please. So Buffy the Vampire Slayer is to interview with the vampire. Uh huh. What charmed is to the craft. Oh. Roughly the same time differences, okay. That's all very... the same stealing. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, okay. <laughs> I think I've just melted my my brain through my nose there. Dandy fop, yes. <laughs> so all this hair and makeup, and it's meant to be. So we're meant to be learning that, yes, Louis has this soul. Um, he can't read minds, but he can <sighs> feel stuff. Oh, yes, that's another vampire power, mind reading. Yes, he can um, feel stuff and remember things. And he's not too happy about killing people, so he just noms on the dog, and Lestat is forced to kill this aristocratic woman before she shouts and wakes the whole neighbourhood, having yeah. already murdered her definitely gay lover. <laughs> then, and I, the reason I confuse myself is because my, my notes say, taking a doll for a midnight run and smash. What does that mean? That means that one of the only poorly done effects in this whole film is the one where Louis is running Lestat into a tree. He flies a bit and he's pushing the yep. the body of Lestat into the tree. It's just, it, it might as well be like a cardboard box. <laughs> like it's just, they've kind of put a doll in his outfit. With a, with a wig on. Yeah. 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 But it's, the, it's like one of the only bad effects in the entire thing. Because the rest of them are all practical effects and they really work. And that is a practical effect that doesn't. It's uh, Stan, Stan Winston doing the effects. Who did? Uh, Jurassic Park. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. The animatronic stuff in Jurassic Park was, was him. I know they didn't use a lot of it in the final mm. thing. But I think like the big dinosaur eye looking in. Oh, very nice. Him. And um, yeah, I read that he really had to fight... Not literally, mm. but like he, it took the filmmakers took some convincing that he was the guy for it because because they, they were like, oh, you're the the dinosaur guy. He's like, yeah, yeah, but you know, I can do this well, stuff. That's and he funny, had to, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Imagine, it does. It's good, good work, isn't it? Yeah, imagine working that hard on something and they just cut all your stuff out. And the thing is, having we've recently rewatched the Jurassic Park films. Mm. Well, not that recently, but and the, two years ago. We watched the Jurassic Park films, and, yeah. the, and the first one, I think the effects held up better in the first one than the other ones, even they though do. the other ones are much more modern. They do. Uh, <laughs> partly because there is some 
practical stuff in there, but partly because of the way everything is framed and shot. Yeah. And there's also an element of that going on here. I think it looks really good for the most part, with the say with the exception of the midnight smashing doll. Um, <laughs> and and a lot of that is because of the way it's lit and filmed and framed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a, then a scene of, and I really like it. It really sticks in my mind. I don't like it because of the content. I really like the way it's done. It reminds me of the work of Cara Walker, who's the one that does a lot of, an artist that does a lot of cut paper silhouettes depicting historical narratives, like really horrible slavery stuff, like people burning and dying. It is really effective in a room where if you just stand in the room with it, it really does something to you. It's like they're moving, Um, but they are just silhouettes on the wall. They're all done like shadow puppetry. Mm. And in that style, the drawing style is really gorgeous. I I would have a look if I were you. It's got echoes of... Lotta Reiniger. Oh, yes. But stationary. Right. And beautiful. So, anyway, that. But we have a lot of scenes of, in inverted commas, voodoo. (laughs) So, (laughs) it's voodoo in the Hollywood sense, unfortunately, where we just molest a cockerel and or go into ecstatic dance. That's fine. There's elements of it. It's fine. Mm -hmm. It's a nice... You know, it's the colour scheme that gets me most of all. It's all lit by fire. Mm. It's lovely. It's mm. really beautifully done. It looks like chaos reigns. They are frightened of the murders. They are doing all sorts of magic to try and free them of the demons. Um, but the demon is like a really well-dressed aristocrat. Aristocrat. <laughs> Everybody wants to be a Tom Cruise. <laughs> it's a really well-dressed aristocrat. You know, and a a kind of bored rich guy. You know? Yeah, yeah. Tom Cruise is really riding that horse, by the way. Oh. I know he likes to fanny about and do a lot of his own stunts, yeah, but that's really stunts. him riding that horse. But Brad Pitt, it's a, <laughs> it's a problem, right? Shouting in an accent. <laughs> yeah, his his cool. accent went's not bad at all. Till he shouts. Till he shouts. Fair enough. Yeah. What are you doing, Lestat? Ah. <laughs> you can kind of hear him hearing it, you know. He's trying to control it. It doesn't get contained very easily. And that's very much not, when was it, 1791 or yeah. whatever. But we're not going, blooming, what's his name, Daniel Day-Lewis over any of this. It's <laughs> it's safe here. You said the relationship between the two vampires is interesting. Because usually in vampire films, the audience identification figure is a, a human. Or, yes. you know, usually we are sort of... If not actively fighting the vampires, then sort of on the side of the the living, yeah. you know. Uh, whereas here we have a, a, a slightly reluctant new vampire yeah. is our identification figure, and all the characters are vampire, or all the characters of note are vampires. There's no, yeah. there's, the, the humans are just there for food. I mean, it, it still works. It's just worthy of note. I think is interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Big angel vibes again. Mm-hmm. setting the house on fire must have been really fun and done in one take because it's really him yep. and it's really on fire yep. and it's shot in such a way that you couldn't have repeated it yeah the firework is, is excellent all through here yeah it's really mm. impressive it's big scale Louis is such a flipping moper <laughs> such a moper then we get another formative years kind of forming sexuality scene of hot stockings. I'm not going to lie. Hot stockings will always be hot. 
particularly yeah. hot 17th century white stockings. I can't rock them, but I know a few people that could, and it does things to me. <laughs> it's because of this film. I know it. When I saw the f- scene come on, I was like, oh, I remember. Oh, and then I, I miswrote and I put, was this film my spiritual awakening? I must have had something else <laughs> on my brain. No, it wasn't. In a, in a way. <laughs> it was also quite a Tallulah Trek colour palette as well. And in fact, the mm. girls look very Trek. It's a little bit, obviously, it's a bit later than when it's set. But yeah, but it's it's nice. Well, yeah, exactly. We're, we're, there's nothing egregious, should we put it that way? Yeah. Um, and I've put Lestat is such a stroppy and messy bitch. Yes. That's so true. Um... I've said Lestat's been doing this for 200 years, but he's still a stroppy, petulant, and spoilt boy. Oh, how with funny. With whom Anne Rice is still is a little bit in love. Yes, definitely. Uh, which is true. And that Lestat kills because he likes it, but though he has no stomach for it. Mm-hmm. Um, Rat's neck. And the, the thing that I quite liked was that Lestat has all the time in the world to just follow Louis around, you know, whenever he just pops up through the window and goes, oh, look, oh, you've been doing this again, you're doing that. And I think it's a, an aspect of, like, immortality. <laughs> like, he's got nothing else to do because he's... That's very sweet. He's a vampire. Yeah, I actually saw it as a... He was doing the... The sort of Frankenstein's monster thing of trying to create a companion for himself. He hoped they would be... In fact, I would go as far as to say he hoped they would be lovers, friends, father and son, all the things, all those things in a yes. wanna. Yeah, well, there's there's Frankenstein stuff coming up for me. I think, oh, right, when okay. When we... Yeah, you've watched... If you're listening to this, you've watched the film... Because very shortly we'll create a queer family together. Yes, that's like, true. Like, very explicitly. Yes, that's true. Um, yeah, which is the plot of Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, oh, yeah. But uh, but also, is some, you know, is something in the in the novel, it is a, it is a desire of the monster mm. to have a, a, a bride. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rat snack. Now, earlier, there had been one tiny, tiny little mention of Dracula, right? Without oh, yes. mentioning Dracula. So we're like, well, rats are great if you need to live on a ship for yes. a few weeks. Yes. And I think, does Christian Slater bring up bring up Drac when he's talking to... Sort of, that? yeah. I mean, you know. But it's very vague. It's very like, yeah. yep, we get it. There is already a vampire at the end. Yeah. But um, now we're into rat snack territory, which is exactly what they do with Angel, where Angel is found in a Irish tunnel somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> post post curse um, no he makes it Irish by being there post curse and eating rats why did I put that eek he bit the kid because ah. young Louis the plague is in town and there's a small child sort of pulling on the arm of its clearly dead mother yeah very very dead mother yeah been dead for some time because mm. not the stat Louis, Louis. has been Tussling with his conscience for a little while because he loves he loves fresh human blood, yeah, and he wants it, but he finds killing abhorrent. Yeah. Partly because he's the hero, right? You know, he's our yeah. identification figure. But also as a vampire but with a soul, exactly. But I think his his thoughts are like literally, no one's going to miss this kid. This kid's going to have a terrible time, and mm, full of tasty hot blood. Yeah. Um. So has a has a nibble and is instantly surprised by the stat who is just like hiding behind a oh, yeah. pillar or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. now we see, now he likes it. And obviously this is not the way to, this is, Louis does not dis- respond well to this behaviour. Well, I mean, I think, I wonder if he would have responded ever so slightly better if the stat hadn't then done a really terrifying waltz with the corpse. Oh, yeah. And you're like, oh, should be a 15. <laughs> <laughs> 
they actually fully show the dead mum and then fully show him yeah just flouncing like, like grotesquely proceeding pre- everywhere in the room life in the old ground yet. yeah it's horrible you're right yeah, yeah. so uh <laughs> Oh, when that gay couple finally adopt is what I was <laughs> So yeah, welcome to the stage. Yes. Miss Kirsten Dunst. Yes. In a in an early role. As just doing incredible work. Yeah. As well, she's great as great. Claudia. 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 So yes, I said I would point out changes from the novel when we got to them. Yes. Here is one because oh. uh, in the book uh, she, I think she's five. Uh she's That's young, worse. She's younger in the book. Uh, a lot closer to the age uh, Anne Rice's daughter was when she died. Oh, that's sad. She um, tried to make a kid that would live forever. Yeah. Five's way worse. Yeah, but I, I completely understand yeah. why they... Because, I mean, how old's Dunst here? Well, here's the thing you've missed there. Oh, yes? Claudia is five. Kirsten Dunst is 12. Right. Because a 12-year-old wouldn't go like, Mama, and not know that their mum was dead. Oh, yeah. So she is five. But she's the body of a five-year-old Right. that then ages in her mind. Yes. And that's what we watch. Okay, that makes sense. Mm. Yes. Which is why everyone keeps giving her dolls. They wouldn't do that to 12 either. That makes sense. Mm. Yes. Yes. I just I just put her as a little older because... Of, of course, yeah. But and she's done beautifully. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she looks like a painting when she's turned into a vampire. Tiny Kirsten Dunst. Big exorcist vibes when she turns. Mm-hmm. Um, her death is really much more frightening. I right, yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about making this a 15. What am I talking about? <laughs> <laughs> but her death where she's like <laughs> just through her teeth and yes. then is dead is yeah. much worse. It feels really... It must have been actually thinking about it. If Anne Rice was on set and wrote the screenplay... She's, she's that's that's really quite um, traumatic for Anne Rice. Yeah. To watch Kirsten Dunst playing a dying five-year-old, I don't know how. Oh yeah. God, that took a turn, didn't it? Oh. <laughs> anyway, love her transformation. She looks lovely. Uh, this, also, and this is where I've said Bride of Frankenstein echo. Yes. In a queer is this queer family, right? I made you a companion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. You fiend <laughs> is a great line. <laughs> I said telling a small child feels deeply vampire unethical, but then Lestat never struck me as somebody who would be bothered by any of that. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. He's got it as a toy. Yeah. But the thing is, this is an interesting thing. If it's completely against the law, the vampire law, to kill another vampire, Mm -hmm. he's really set her up to, to fail. Do you know what I mean? Like, he can't even put her out of her misery. I suppose, yeah. By their own laws that they then immediately break. But, you know. <laughs> well, I did one because through uh, up to this point, Louis is having not a good time. He's not enjoying being a vampire. And my note here is, like, does he ever consider just getting up in the morning and looking at the sun and turning to dust or whatever happens to them? Well, yeah, we know it does. Spoilers yeah, I imagine on. he does think um, about it all the time because he obsesses over sunrises. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But I suppose, yes, I'll come to why he doesn't later on. Cause but also, he... Wanted to be dead when his wife and child were killed. Yes, this is his like, in the beginning. Story, so yeah. he's just not very good at killing himself. That's what <laughs> we've established. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> you know. Well, yeah, I, I think it's more accurate to say that he enjoys the suffering too much. Oh, I see. But yeah. I'll come to that later. 
Claudia, they age Claudia through her dresses. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, every dress is incredible. I've never seen silk or taffeta like that. It's really stunning. The blue as well that they put her in is glorious. Mm. And she develops taste over time as well. Throughout the film, she develops her own tastes that are very clear. The character is dressed in a way that looks like she just loves the colour blue, for example. Uh-huh. And she's always in these different, this particular shade. And as I say, they age her in a sort of comedy vampire child montage <laughs> where we're like, oh, I accidentally bit the, <laughs> the person <laughs> the making my dress teacher. and well, I the, killed the, the piano yes, teacher. Yes, that's right, yes. Yeah. Who's the piano teacher? It's, it's, um, uh, it's Roger Lloyd Peck. It's a trigger from um, Only Fools, Only and, Fools and, Horses. and Horses. Lovely. And many other things, of yeah, course. But, uh, but mainly this film but... and Only Fools and Horses. <laughs> yeah. um, it's a nice detail that she gets very good at artistic pursuits because she never she's not going to grow up. You know, she, like she's yeah. had a lot of time to learn this stuff. So, like, yeah, she can play the piano, she can paint. Yeah, because she's been learning this stuff for probably sixty years, odd years. Exactly. Yeah, and of course, the world age, ages around them. So we're a little bit further ahead now. We're the fashion around everybody is sort of more Victorian than seventeen hundreds. She's twelve years old and all that, and they age her up with her eye makeup as well. Like they they make her seem older, mm-hmm. and she's. Or they they had aged her down with makeup and hair, yeah. and they age her up with the rest of it. You know how creepy it is. We we've seen people where we know them as a tiny tiny child, and then suddenly they like wear something with like trouser legs, and you're like, how are you that tall? What <laughs> what happened? When I blinked. So she sees a woman and she steals her and keeps her like a doll. Yeah, that's weird, isn't it? A little bit weird. Yeah. But then we get the whole which one of you did it thing that I I absolutely love. It's we do spend a fair bit of time with the character that you know certainly for the first half hour or so didn't you know was you have no conception that we're going to yeah. meet Claudia. And it, it it is really unusual and it's a it's a it's an odd thing to sort of for yeah. the film to grapple with and it makes a real good fist of it. I yeah. love it. I love yeah. the the rage at being turned and not consenting because she's old enough to know. She's old enough and not old enough. That's the weird yeah. paradox that she'll never grow up. Yeah. But but that she is growing up through like weight of experience. Yeah. She cuts her hair off and yeah. it grows right back and she's yeah. like, oh damn it. Yeah. Um again, I she's just chock full of good lines. Like she has my mm. favourite lines in the film by a long way. And she does so well. And We've said this before in a couple of the other things we've covered that include children, mm. but like it can be um, imagine if we're gonna miss. Well, imagine if this was cast with somebody who was like not awful. I don't mean like an just awful screechy. child, but just like a, a a proficient child actor for most things. Yeah, but just wasn't it? You, you need her to be able to convey however many years it's supposed to have been that she's been a, a child. Well, I'll put it this way. The other child that I compare this this role to uh-huh. is from Legend. Weirdly, right, yeah. it's the this Puck, the the glittery fairy oh, boy. Yes. Yeah, because he was twenty two at the time of filming <laughs> and had a disorder that made him appear younger. Yeah, and that's why he that's... managed to balance that perfect. Like, also Frankie Muniz is a really good example right. of people that just Frankie Muniz when he was being Malcolm in the Middle. Mm-hmm. Was I believe twenty four? Right. Okay. So like this, yeah. <laughs> that's how you do the kind of withered, <laughs> sort of old eyed person. But mm-hmm. if sometimes you just get one that that does a full on old soul moment, yeah. and it works. 
so one of her really good lines that I love is like saying something, being like, yeah, this is great, this is fine, even though you're the father of lies. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and she's brought him a gift, or two gifts. She's brought him twins. Yes, some exquisite boys. Yes, some exquisite boys, very young things. Um, he, they, he dives on in, even though he's a little bit suspicious, Lestat does. Mm, nommy nommy twins and the way she plays it as well where you not you can see a lack of sincerity in yes. her but she doesn't overplay it well because she knows that Lestat will just fall for anything she does <laughs> honestly Lestat yeah. absolutely adores her yeah, absolutely. even though he's furious with her for not playing the game uh-huh. that's his whole deal is that he only gets angry and acts out when people don't play his game because mm-hmm. he's a spoiled prince yes. and she doesn't play the game and he gets angry and starts I don't know playing piano and (laughs) you know one thing leads to another anyway she slits his throat and then those beautiful silk slippers oh they are handmade Mm. and stunning with you know lift me lift me louis this is such a good shot and this like the the blood blood, coming towards them and and to to frame it this way i was so impressed with this whole sequence yeah i believe it's a animatronic face isn't it that turns a model very very beautiful so that he looks like he's dying actively on screen, which yeah. is all very um, American Werewolf in Paris. Uh, yes. American Werewolf in London, sorry. Yes, it is. Chilling movement. She's backing away, actually looking frightened. Good night, sweet prince. May flights of devils wing you to your rest. Was my uh, MSN name for longer than it should be. <laughs> Quote the line that I've quoted here is, yeah. I did it for us, Louis, so we could be free. Aww. And I've said, but it's like a... A child? <laughs> Like a femme fatale in a film noir. Oh yes, um, yeah. You know, being like I, you know, that's why I killed my husband. Right. So that we can be together, darling, and then obviously it's, it goes wrong because yeah, that's how that's how it works. These things go. Well, she spent a lot of time in Louis's coffin. You know, she'll creep in and yeah, run her fingers around his sort of just like like play with his hair mm. because that's her coping. Like she's she's done that since she was a tiny child, and as far as she was concerned. He rescued her from oblivion. Yeah. And she was very young. This is why she doesn't quite remember her mother, right? Of course. Um, Not fully. She's Mm -hmm. got vague memories of it. When you found me. That's how she says it. When you found me. Mm -hmm. Blood bubbles at the swamp. It's very nicely done. Good effect. Corpse Lestat playing the piano is so gothic and fit. (laughs) With all of the... (laughs) Yeah. With all of the netting, all of the things obscuring his face. Yeah. Him talking like an idiot. You know, just saying stuff. It sounds all meant to be profound, but it also sounds like he's had a really heavy night. Yeah, yeah. Look what the cat dragged in. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, all the fire and screaming. Wonderfully ambiguous as well, because they naff off out of there on a boat. Uh, Yeah. And they leave an inferno behind them. And you think, like, well, no one could survive that. But we've already seen... We've seen him survive... We've seen him survive having his throat cut. And feeding on alligators. Like, he was fine. I mean, he wasn't fine. (laughs) (laughs) No, but he was alright. I wanted those waters to be blue, but they were black. (laughs) This petrol teal blue dress thing is just so stunning that she's wearing that beautiful, striking... Looks like all the contrast has been turned up, but it's just a bit of fabric. It's so expensive. OMG. Yes. And it's actually the... <laughs> my note, my note. Was this expensive? It looks lush. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like the fabric equivalent 
of the red in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, if those mm. if those two were together, you couldn't actually look at them. It yeah. would be like looking at the sun. Um, yeah, or like um, Greek Orthodox iconography. Yes, extremely. Yes. Now, there's a tarot deck I'd use. Whoa. I also noticed the way she changes her... Like, she changes the way she dresses after... She does, um, yeah. She dispatches Lestat. Yeah, what is it she's researching? Vampires and everybody like them, isn't yeah, they're it? Trying they to spend find a long time looking for vampires. More of them. Yes. Yeah, so no one it's... bats an eyelid at that tiny child looking at those big books in a library, which is nice, because yeah. she'd probably eat them if they did. But... <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's a it's an odd an odd little detail that they just can't find any other vampires anywhere. Um, I quite like it. Yeah, it's not a criticism. But it also just... implies Lestat's been on the run. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, Lestat's gone so far away from all the other vampires yes he's had to leave paris he never says why no but he's in the new world right there's none over there yeah and then he's like i'll be god because mm-hmm. he's a narcissist yes i'll make a bunch we can go back over with my like weird little vampire army as you say the queer family yes and introduce ourselves like um you know like a debutant like a kind mm. of you know yeah. the ball but then we have this gorgeous moment now i didn't write the actor's name down. Stephen Ree. Ree. Stephen Ree. So Louis walking. Louis walking home alone at night. More vampire references. <laughs> and he bumps into essentially a mime. Yeah. And it's this beautiful. The mirror image bit is so old cinema. It's so yes. like Charlie Chaplin-y sort of comedy and really oddly out of place and I really like it it, yes. it feels really um, Alice in Wonderland like uh, you've wandered into the nonsense bit and it's Stephen Ree I don't know he's been cool he's yeah, been cool he's doing the uh, Fred Astaire royal wedding bit yes dancing up the wall but the whole the all of the Paris vampires that we're now meeting owe a fair amount to a French 1910s Serial Les Vampires. Oh Le, yeah, Les Vampires. If uh, <laughs> if you you know if you're English if you're English, um, by Louis Fouliard. I'm probably pronouncing that incorrectly, mm-hmm. but um, but which is a you know early 1900s French vampire thing. It's, if you have a picture of what that looks like, it's probably like that. It's <laughs> very like these theatrical French vampires. We'll put um, I'll put some pictures on the on the gram. Yeah, uh, it looks gorgeous. But uh, but yes and. It's a beautiful character point that Louis is not at all impressed with this sort of dance up the wall whimsy. I really love it. Yeah. I really love that he's like a fool. You know, just <laughs> just. Uh, I've been looking for decades to find more vampires, and then finally it's this idiot cheap tricks. Yeah, exactly. But it's uh, Antonio Banderas, everybody. Way oh, yes. baby Antonio as Armand. Uh, it's a far cry from. Is his name Martin Sheen? Michael Sheen. Michael Sheen. Michael Sheen. Mm-hmm. Who, who, who doing what? Being a vampire, being being a vampire king. Oh right! Oh yes, that is mm. him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Not Martin <laughs> Sheen. Um. It's Michael Sheen. Michael Sheen. Yeah. The Welsh one. Yeah, Michael Sheen. It's not Charlie Sheen either. <laughs> is it Michael or Martin? Yes, it is. Michael Sheen is a vampire. In Twilight Saga New Moon. That's what that was my reference. Michael yes, he's yeah. the And an Aquarius, and rightly so, with that mouth. 
I also think he's in Underworld, isn't he? Underworld. Yes, he is. Oh, Oh, really? Yeah. Got a trilogy coming on. Oh, that's a that's a weekend that I can just sit and become part of the sofa. (laughs) I love an Underworld marathon, and it's so in vampire season. Um, Michael Sheen is Lucian in that, and also vampire. (laughs) Um, So, it's a far cry from Michael Sheen. There we go. Vampires pretending to be humans, pretending to be vampires. Gorgeous stage production moment. Now, I have been brewing and ruminating on an idea for a Halloween costume party for this year coming. Uh The theme is horrifyingly specific. Would you like to know what it is? I would love to, and I'm sure all the listeners would like to know too. (laughs) Now, up to this point in my life, it was going to be... You come dressed as a character from one of the terrible plays that are put on in teen movies of the 90s. Right. So the example that I give is the one in Scream. Yeah. Right? Where she's being Cassandra and screeching. Yeah. That would be great. You could get the red dress. Like you've got the whole thing. You could be that terrible thing that Freddie Prince Jr. does in She's, she's All, all That. that. Yeah, you, there's there's so many options when you really look. There's all the stuff from Drop Dead Gorgeous, like Brittany yep. Murphy. There's all the stuff from Clueless, all the stuff from Mean Girls. There's a lot for every time there's a stage production in a team film. <laughs> that is specific. Yeah, yeah, but I also and then you can have fun trying to decide who you actually who you're sitting next to and talking mm-hmm. to. But then I sort of want to add this in because this is <laughs> essentially a stage production in a team film. Yeah, yeah, it's very much in that mm. style. Yeah, until until the end of it when it goes horrible. Um, yeah, all cool, depending on what show you signed up for. Yeah. 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 If that was consensual, that would be great. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, that would have been a really fun time for some people. It's an easy costume. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't look consensual. Yeah, if you're on a budget, do tell people <laughs> who you are. The audience not knowing where to look is really good. Mm. The the beautiful, like, the fact that they are parodying the costumes worn by the people in the beginning of the film, in the 17th century bit, mm-hmm. that's how the characters on stage are dressed, oh, good point. which is so fit because they're actually mm, acting nice. out Lestat's potential life in front of him. Sure. Not, not Lestat, sorry. They're acting out Louis's potential life in front of him. Sure. And he's sort of... I don't know, he's just being forced to watch. And also, Claudia doesn't look very happy about it either. She looks, like, worried by the whole thing, like they're being exposed, and it's very, very strange. I really like the bin bag, uh, the bin bag vampires as well, that all just feast on her at the end. It's awkward. (laughs) It's it's awkward. Yeah, but again, uh, Stephen Reed, Santiago, fantastically in control of the material, you know, when they get Mm. the heckle from the person in the crowd. And then he's like, you wait your turn. Yeah, exactly. You know, sort of all knowing and playing along, but also like, but you know, we, we the audience are privileged to know that they're your actual factual vampires and they're really going to yes. feast. Tonight. They're really eating that person. The set is so incredible. This particular sect of underground vampires in France live in what is essentially the steps from Dracula, from yes. um, both from Bram Stoker's Dracula and from... Uh, Dracula 1931 which is great to see but with more catacombs more morgue bits yeah well it's also reminiscent of the Phantom of the Opera's lair under the Paris Opera House in 
the Phantom of the Opera. Yes, um, that's true. And yeah. I mean, I, I assume it's the Catacombs of Paris, right? Yeah, lovely. Is what well, we're be great, wouldn't it? Referencing, yeah. Nice yeah. Catacomb bit. Yeah, it's so sad. <laughs> it's so sad that I can't unhear Vanderas as uh, Puss in Boots. Oh dear! Every time he was talking, <laughs> I was like, "Oh no, is he going to do the face?" You know, like, oh. Um, it is slightly odd that um, I suppose it's because he hasn't found anybody else, but that Louis really fixates upon uh, this guy as somebody who can, like, help him with his questioning, like his questioning Voyager act. Okay, sort of, but they also imply that they've been in communication without really noticing. You know, like like there's always been a call. They do talk about having a connection. Sure. So I think it's just something that we're not really informed about in yeah, the film but it much. But it, like it wasn't coincidence that they ended yes. up there. Yeah. Yeah, and then we've got Claudia in an amazing dress again. It's a green one. It looks like beetle wings. Oh, it's yes. really really glorious. The shock of the kidnapping is great. Mm. It comes out of nowhere. It's horrible. Yeah, yeah. Really unsettling. But basically the vampire crew have decided that it's well bad that they killed Lestat. And that they're going to punish him. And obviously, having just had a heart-to-heart with Armand, who's like, I will protect you at all costs. (laughs) Louis is frantically screaming for his new BFF. Of course. Who is listening to them be killed behind a door. So... (laughs) Yeah. No, this is fine. Um, somewhere amongst all of this, by the way, uh, Claudia has adopted the woman that works in the doll shop as her new vampire that she's made. This is a, yeah. This, I'm glad you mentioned that mm. because it's it's an interesting bit of like child brain planning almost mm. that like she feels threatened by Armand that. She's going to lose Louis. Yes. And she isn't strong enough to survive as a vampire on her own. That's why you don't turn small children. Right? Yeah. She can't look yeah. after herself. So she picks one and makes one. Yeah. You know, to to help her. Which is, again, it's, it's, it's nice the way that it reckons with what it would be like being a small child vampire, you know? Yeah, but also... She's basically picked one for the skill. Yeah. That woman can make dolls and I like dolls. Yes, that too. Yeah. 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 But she also lost her daughter was the other thing. Yeah. That looked exactly like Claudia <laughs> uh, for some reason. There's a lot of child death. I think it's nice to know the facts now mm-hmm. to see why there's so much. Yeah, I mean. That's don't... three dead children in one film. I suppose. Uh, plus the two dead boys. Yeah. But that's three dead little girls. In one film, because his daughter dies. Yes. Then Claudia dies in front of them and is yeah. reborn. And then we talk about the little girl in the locket. Yeah. So it's a lot. Where are we here? Yes, Louis freaking out is so intense. Brad Pitt really acts the absolute bejesus out of it, doesn't he? Yeah. They're yeah, you, you get a real sense of threat. Panic, it's, yeah. It's because vampires, you know, it's hard to kill them, right? Yeah. Um, as, we've, as we've been has been demonstrated by Lestat's yeah. performance and as they given that non we don't get usually you get vampire peril from like oh are they going to get home in time or whatever yeah whatever. never really seems to bother them so no. it's nice that they sell it's nice that this is sold as a real credible threat and it really is yeah and I mean to be fair I would be panicking too if I was immortal and being bricked into a wall yeah it's, um, it's really good it's really good work good work yeah um but the Newly sired mother and Claudia do not get bricked into a wall. They get 
put into, interestingly, something that was used in slaver times. The yeah. the hot hole, right? right. The, the idea of this kind of sun hole where you would just bake right. the, yeah. the slave that hadn't done good. Uh, right. Django Unchained and 12 Years a Slave have this horrible hot box. And people would just die in the hot box. Mm-hmm. They'd just be cooked to death by the midday sun, essentially. Um, so it's an interesting callback. Yeah. Um, and if you did survive... Oh, no, it's awful, actually. I won't go into it. But there was... But yes, it wasn't great, no. um, but it would feel like your flesh was on fire anyway. And then we watched them die in a really amazing graphic. It's still really good. Yeah, yeah. That they burst into flames and they are left as ash sculptures of themselves. Yeah, and it's quite it's quite a drawn out process. So you you know it gives you the it dangles in front of the audience the suggestion that they might be saved. Because yeah, we don't. The, the vampires do the classic villain mistake yeah. of like, oh, I won't just kill you now. I'll leave you in this complicated death trap that will take some time to work. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And this is where I've said it's quite episodic, this the yes, film, the way it works. Right. I said it could be a could be a mini series. And again, there's not a criticism. I think that's just a from its source material, the fact that it is Yeah, from but a I think that's point. why it's the Chronicles. Because it's okay. chronicled them all. Yeah, that makes sense. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's chronicled them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I forgot he lost his wife in child wife and child, you know, in mm-hmm. childbirth. That's worse. <laughs> Yeah, because he goes a bit woo. Um, the shots of him with barrels and actual fire starting are so good. Incredible, isn't it? So good. I put so hot, but it's because they're so fit. They're yeah. beautiful. Yeah. He's lost his. He's lost his mind essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the, the fire walking here is next level. I don't know if I can think of it. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I can think of anything that I've seen that 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 good. Yeah. You know, in terms of like, it looks really hot. Things are really yeah. on fire. There's really people there. Lots of people are on fire. I also found out recently that the only thing, like, it's it's perfectly safe in inverted commas, <laughs> um, to set yourself on fire with that stuff with the, the amazing that, chemical, the yeah. gel. But if you breathe in, it goes in your mouth, so you cannot breathe in. <laughs> so when they're screaming, obviously they are not screaming, and it's why you yeah. never see their mouths. Yeah. When they do that, because if the actor opened their mouths, then the the fire would immediately go for the place without gel and would just burn you from the inside alive. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> moving on. The beheadings are great. People are on fire. It's all inside this Happy Meal. I love that he gets a size. That's so trite, isn't it? It's so over the top and dumb dumb. But it... It's completely unfitting with the yeah. Paris vampire milieu. Yeah. He's the reaper, right? He's yeah. come to... Extract terrible vengeance. Yeah. But the interesting thing as well is that... He, because Louis makes a big deal about turning the woman and he says, you know, that was the last of my humanity. He sacrifices for mm. her. But then, ten minutes later, they're both dead anyway, meaning that he did that for nothing. He That's true. He sacrificed his humanity. Oh, I forgot about that. For yes. For nothing. You know, it's a storytelling device, right? In that we're told, you know, even in the flash, flash, well, this is flashback, in the present yeah. day things where, when the interview is happening, we're told about the people that he kills, you know, and he's done a lot of this, but we very rarely see him kill innocents or kill yeah. unfortunates or no. whatever. So it's, and again, it's so that we have, so that he has our sympathy as a as a character. But, but this is contrived nicely as a way that, like, it's these are noble reasons that he goes further mm. down his path. Yeah. More hell illusions. Uh, more more looking like you're in hell mm. in that shot. Uh, the funeral carriage is obviously perfect. <laughs> Everything's perfect. 
Louis's jacket and waistcoat are also gorgeous, just as a side note. Like, he's <laughs> looking particularly fine. And he has that fur trim as well in the next scene where he's, like, walking away from it all. Oh, yes. And then time sort of passes. You yeah. know, like, he's... The, the town has aged. And he turns up, basically, look, he goes to see a film, I think it's just called Sunrise. He goes to see Sunrise, the the F.W. Murnau silent, which is a gorgeous, beautiful film. He Yeah, he watches that. He watches... What else did I recognise? Uh, I think it's Gone with the Wind. Oh, I think yeah. The colour one. And something else I didn't recognise. Yeah. Uh, oh, and um, and Superman, of course. He goes to see Superman. Yeah, and that's so, him going to see the sunrise for the first time uh, yeah. since he's turned, which yes. is really sweet and yeah. really a nice touch. Yeah. Um, the golden age of cinema. He's very excited. But yeah, it makes him into this sort of tragic, wondering figure uh, of romantic yeah. literature. Yeah, know. with his fairy bits. And then... He decides to go back to where it all began, as he says, um, to where the statue had eyes for a second. Yep. And ends up finding a very dishevelled Lestat. <laughs> who's been eating rats. Who's been eating rats, which he definitely teased Louis for. Um, he's in an old man chair, almost like, you know, like an old dad. Yeah. That used to be fearsome and is now very ill. You know, that yeah. kind of horrible where the dad suddenly looks like two stone... Oh. Two yeah. stone wet and has no power over you know that that mm. sinking feeling. I've put now kiss, <laughs> <laughs> but he just Brad Pitt just looks incredible in clothes. He's a clothes horse, isn't he? He's just he looks so good in anything they dress him in. I Plus, did, it's a good tailor. I did say that they picked nineteen eighty eight so his hair would look cool again because obviously he's got <laughs> yeah. you can't cut your hair. We've established this. This is yeah. another vampire thing, so you have to put him in a thing where like yeah in nineteen eighty eight he is. On trends, yes. Paul Lestat. He gets some sweeping 90s Batman music. He's frightened of what he thinks is the sun and it turns out to be a helicopter. It's it's all very sweet. Yeah, he's really behind the time. Yeah, and frightened. And this is where I started to wonder about, as, as I said, about age and about why, uh, given all of those terrible things that happened to him, as to why Louis didn't just... Give it up, you know. Yeah. I think they don't have a conversation about how. Yeah, few... we did. No, but I mean, don't they have a conversation about how few vampires make it? Mm-hmm. And uh, and that made me wonder, like, what what is it? And the thing that I thought was that, you know, he's attached to his suffering. Right? Yeah. Um, and he thinks it gives him something. It gives him an edge. It gives him some something that some other vampires don't have. There's that, but I also get the impression that he would totally do an angel thing and go on crusades of like getting justice for vampires or you know like there'd yeah. be something where he was and in fact the whole premise he's trying to get the story out there so that people are aware of the dangers if you like sure. of these people existing and that he has a story worth telling potentially before he just tops himself you know you know, yes. who knows what he's aiming for christian slater's looking a bit worse for wear bless you know mm-hmm. patrick clayton's the director isn't he Assistant director, sorry. Ah. Assistant director, ignore that. But he did a load. He did loads of stuff, but all very similar. So Lara Croft, Doom, loads and loads and loads of like big blockbustery, shiny things, and then the film of Grey Owl. Did you know they made one of Grey oh, Owl? No. It's got flipping Pierce Brosnan in the lead. <laughs> That's embarrassing. Anyway, ignore that. Christmas later, um, the ending. 
Yes. They managed to close two lanes of Golden Gate Bridge for that. It's the first film yeah, to do it, which good, is amazing. Good fact. Yeah. Good fact. I think it's weird giving the stat the the closing because um, Louis at the end is sitting there saying that he's empty. He feels very empty. Um, and Christian Slater's like, I want to be turned. I yeah. want to be evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do me. But in, it just struck me that he's come. He's gone full circle. Almost. This is very reminiscent of Louis at the very beginning when he just doesn't know what he's, he's just sort yeah. of sitting and looking into the. The, looking into space, and then, and then we see the stat very much restored to some of his earlier Glory. pomp. Mm-hmm. You know, while that Guns N' Roses cover of "Sympathy for the Devil" plays, and he's learnt how to drive a car. Even though, like last time, I suppose it was nineteen eighty-eight when we last saw him. So in the last six years, yeah, because uh, you know, in the late eighties, he was terrified of electric light. Um, <laughs> so yes, I guess he's been busy. Yeah. Since then, yeah, yeah, it's odd, but it. It works. It's just that um, yeah. I always feel like you know, sort of Louis is the. It's weird because Louis is the ostensive hero of of this piece. He's the he's the vampire that is being interviewed, and he's the yeah. center of the film. But I but also Lest- wonder because we haven't read the books. Mm-hmm. I wonder if Lestat is essentially the main character, and that's why he gets to be the guy in Queen of the Damned. Sure. Yes, and it could have been that they were thinking of another film. Exactly. That's that, what that I was, was going to say. Be, that's setting him up for like I'm back and I'm still sexy and cool and I can I can fly and I can drive a car and I I've got blonde hair and I'm going to be in the next film. And we're going to make jokes not dissimilar to Austin Powers about how things are a bit different now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sounds great. Any more, Freddie Ball? Um, I suppose just to touch on what you talked about the blockbuster element to it that it does have those sides to it it, yeah. is, it is that and and that it is it's not profound or anything like no. that but there's there's some meat to it there's some attempts to grapple with some unusual aspects of vampire lore that you yeah. don't often get it isn't just like oh uh, they love blood and um, and they're evil. Yeah, you know? it, it isn't. It isn't that. There's 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 a bit more to it, which is is nice. I very much enjoyed it, and I wasn't sure if I was going to. I didn't think you would, and I'm pleased you did. Um, but uh, I mean, but yeah, it, it it looks great. Yep. And it's not stupid. And the <laughs> <laughs> it could have been. Yeah. It could have been real dumb, and it isn't. And the the. Uh, our leads here, where did I say this? Yeah, the three leads are very recognisable, but I think this is the best, most immersive work I've ever seen from any of them. Yeah. And by that I mean, as I said, like I don't look at the stat and see other Tom Cruise characters, you know? Right. Um, I, I don't look at... Brad Pitt is so recognisable, but you can forget it's Brad Pitt and, I, and I'm see saying Louis, it's all in the hair. Or I can. Yeah. It's all in the hair for Maybe. both of them. You never see Tom Cruise blonde. No. <laughs> and you never really see Brad Pitt with very long hair. Fair enough. <laughs> and it well, can change a whole thing, honestly. Yeah. And I mean, I know obviously they are attempting to act, both of them, mm-hmm. and they're doing okay. But a lot of that is the hard work of the scenery and the writing. Like yeah, yeah. No, and, and all of the, yeah. the costumes and you know all of the stuff around them, I get that. But yeah. that's to the film's credit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to know a fascinating fact? I do, I love fascinating facts. Oprah Winfrey was at the premiere because that's how time works. Yeah, she was, I guess, she, if she was interested, she could just phone them up and say, I'm Oprah Winfrey, can I come? And yeah. they said yes. And she walked out because it was too bloody. 
She oh. was disgusted by the amount of blood in it. But I mean, it is a... Like, I, look, far be it from me to argue with... Are you trying to tell Oprah. her to expect blood in a film about vampires? I am. Yeah. If you're listening, Oprah, look, I'm sorry, but... Wow. <laughs> wow. Do you not think I've got a, a tiny point? I think Oprah really likes attention, and I think that was the best way to get it when the film is that pretty. But, you know, I'm also... Oh, well, no, we won't go there. But the, content-wise, I'm surprised there are other bits that didn't make her walk out. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, but that yeah, might just we don't be know, We don't know when she walked out. <laughs> Opening credits. Yeah, maybe... She's like, this is awful. Oh, dear. Yeah, I hate that typeface. I'm healthy. <laughs> Who knows? Righto. Um, oh, oh, last thing is I understand mm. that they are re- not remaking it, but I understand that, that there is a television series. No need. Currently in development. No need. <laughs> I've been getting really angry lately about the sheer lack of things that are not remakes. And I, I was mm. so, so disappointed to hear that a film that I massively rated recently, uh, Nightmare Alley, was yet another remake of a film for <laughs> of a black and white. And it's just so infuriating. Can nobody think of anything else? Think of something else. Even The Lighthouse was an old story. There's... Come on. Was it? Yes, I read it. Yeah. <laughs> I read it shortly after. It was, a, it was based on true events. Oh, right, yes. Yes. But if anyone can think of anything that's an actual original story that isn't just by the nice man that did Midsummer. <laughs> Yeah. Can you chuck it our way? Because I'm getting very frustrated with new newer releases just regurgitating the same old cack. Yeah. Um, Even if the cack is great, it's still cack that they're doing it. Especially these days, it's really odd because, uh, not to sound like a million years old, but when I was a kid. What? In a time before Marvel? In a time before Marvel. I remember. Wow. Before, yeah, I remember so when, old. when superhero films were like dumb and no one was interested in them. There are people alive now where that is cinema. Yeah, I know. Cinema, since they were born, has been the Marvel Just universe. Marvel, of course, yeah, because if you were, like, five when the first one yep. came out, you'd be... Oh, God. <laughs> but, like, but, but it used to be much harder to see, like, the the things that are being remade. Like, once the thing was out of the cinemas, yeah. it, it would turn up on BBC Two if you were lucky or yeah. whatever, you know. But, and and then maybe it would have a, a VHS release or something that you could, like... Yeah. Either, you wouldn't be able to rent if it was old. But maybe you could buy for £25. <laughs> but now, you know, it's like you can see anything. Yeah. Uh, well, obviously, huge chunks of stuff are not available, but so much more is than ever was before. But they'll still be like, oh, that was good, let's do it again. Well, the other side of this is that enormous amounts of trauma have happened to everybody since the initial release of these things and since they were children. A lot of the people with disposable income are the age where they remember some of that trauma. And one thing traumatised people really like doing is, and people with any kind of mental instability like doing, is watching the same thing over and over and over again because it's predictable. We can't be shocked. We can't get anxious about it. It's our favourite and it's comforting. So if you're a cinema producer and you're like, they're only watching the same old crap on Netflix again. (laughs) Nobody can watch Friends that many times. I know what we'll do. We'll just make the same things they love. Yeah, well, I mean, this is Ghostbusters Afterlife. Oh, God. Is predicated entirely on the idea of, like, you liked Ghostbusters 1, you didn't like the new one with the women in it, so here's... <laughs> but, no, I mean, this is not... <laughs> I want to be clear, I'm ventriloquizing here, this isn't yeah, my opinion. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, 
so so here's like the people that you're you know here's a guy you know from Stranger Things and and the old guys doing <sighs> the things that you remember you like that. I I frequently have to stop myself from quoting South Park as an adult, <laughs> but the member berries were right. Anybody listening <laughs> yeah. that got them. Yeah, member. Yeah, that's exactly it, and it freaks me out. Anyway, so if you if you know anything, if you if you know listener, anything, if you know anything, if you know of any good recent cinematic yeah. entertainments that are original stories, yeah, which I and mean entertaining in a, in a technical. Well, I said good, yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean original stories in a technical sense, as in not remakes, yeah, or uh, pre- or pre- preferably not adaptations of existing, yep. Media, yeah, and they're good. Let us know how can they get in touch with us, Amelia? On the email at hauntedpicturepalace at gmail.com, yes, on Instagram at haunted underscore picture underscore palace, at Twitter, I'll just kick you at Twitter <laughs> on HPP pod, and via post by putting like that house where two people live, Edinburgh, Scotland. Don't do that. But do the well, you do what you want. Do what you like. I'm not here to tell you what. To, this is a horror film podcast. You're all adults here, um, and join us next time on the pod when we will be covering Harvey Kumail's 1971 vampire film, Daughters of Darkness. Yes. Uh, which is um, has been recently restored and is available on DVD and Blu-ray. But if you're feeling uh, particularly, I don't know what I'm saying here. If uh, what are you doing? I don't know. I just I want to encourage people to buy it, but if you don't feel able to, um, or you don't have a disc drive or something, it's also on YouTube. Okay. In its entirety. There you go. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Yes, um, and um, it's yes, uh, uh, come, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's enough high. for it's one the day. the end of the day, isn't it? That yes, is enough for one end day. End of today's recording. Thank you so much. Um, yes, this is the sign-off bit. Don't have nightmares. Oh, bye! Bye now. Oh, bye! Bye. <coughs> what are you doing? That 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 song you did. Oh yeah, da 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 da. What's that? <laughs> no, but maybe that's where they've got it from. <laughs> um, if you know, <laughs> write it on a postcard. Exactly. Um, and then email it. <laughs>